this edition of Hoopsology. We welcome Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press and co-host of the Pistons Pulse podcast, Omari Sankofa II. Omari brings his insight into why the Pistons are off to a slow start, the progression of Kay Cunningham, and a lot more. Please note this podcast was recorded about a week ago, so some of Omari's insight is from games that took place from the beginning of the Pistons season. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com and follow us on all social media platforms with the handle at hoopsologypod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, Omari Sankofa II. He is the Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press and the co-host of the Pistons Pulse Podcast. We welcome back Omari Sankofa II on to Hoopsology. How's it going? Hey, it's going good. It's going good. Thanks a lot for having me. And thanks for coming back on the show. Always enjoy your insight. And I think um, the team you covered, the Detroit Pistons, one of the most compelling teams in the league, just despite their record. And I just want to, you know, jump into it just in regards to their slow start to the season and what kind of observations you've seen. Um, anything encouraging just despite their, their slow start and struggles? Yeah, uh, I think this week has been a, a positive week for them. Uh, they did lose to the uh, the Bucks by about 30 points the other night, but they beat the Golden State Warriors at home. Uh, that's the Pistons home, that is, on Sunday. And then uh, went down to the wire with the Bucks uh, a day later on the road. Uh, they, I think, trailed by as many as 14 in that game and uh, ended up tying them at 105 pretty late and just – couldn't hit the shots down the stretch, but yeah, you know, I think with a team like this, you're, this team is really in year three of uh, the restoring, as they like to call it, but really a rebuild, and uh, you kind of just look for growth uh, wherever you could find it, and uh, you know, I think I think Kay's had a good start to his to his uh, second season, and Sadiq and some of the other guys have played pretty well, and they've gotten some good play from the rookies too. So, uh, you know, I think I think long term that's sort of the uh, signs of, of, of growth you want to see long term, uh, even if this team obviously right now is probably not going to win. A lot of games, just looking at how deep the East is, and that sure. this team is like twenty-four or twenty-five or something. So it's just tough to tough to win when you're that young. So you, you mentioned Cade Cunningham. What was his mentality headed into this season? Um, just in terms of what he would like to see improvements, not only in his game but overall, kind of the, the team chemistry as well. I think he came into this season really wanting to uh, continue to establish himself as as the the franchise player. Uh, they they drafted him to be. Of course, he was the number one pick in 2021. Uh, he put on some pounds this offseason, uh, 15 pounds, just to, um, you know, he wanted to just do a better job of establishing his p- position. And, uh, you know, I think he understands that not being the greatest athlete, he's going to have to win uh, just off of Streff and uh, Kraft or something, just blowing by guys. So uh, kind of had a slow start. Uh, you know, and I know some fans were worried about him during preseason because he uh, wasn't light- lighting the world on fire. Uh, and then the first couple of games were slow, but. Uh, until that Bucks loss uh, last night, uh, in his last four games, he averaged around 28 points, like around eight rebounds, eight assists. Uh, so you kind of see the light bulb go on at, at, at times. And when he's locked in, I mean, you know, he's perfectly capable of carrying this team to a win. So I think, uh, you know, it's just him being that player every, every single night. Uh, you know, for the team to win, he can't just do it one night a week or two nights a week. It's got to be three or four. Well, Mari, in terms of X's and O's, are you seeing anything, any major differences like schematically from the Pistons uh, from last year compared to this year? You know, they've got some new weapons with Jaden Ivey, of course, and the rookies that you mentioned. Um, what are you seeing different schematically this year so far? 
Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's anything uh, significantly different from last year. I know, mm-hmm. I know last year they they switched one through five a lot, and this year they've kind of been mixing their coverages up a little bit more. Uh, you can switch one through five with Isaiah Stewart because he's you know five that can stay in front of a lot of guards, like we saw him hold his own against. Uh, you know, and I say hold your own. You're not going to stop those guys, but he, like he can switch on the guys like Luca and, and James Harden, some of the bigger guards, and you feel pretty good about it. You know, he's six nine, moves his feet well. Uh, with Jalen Duran. Uh, you know, they've been playing a little bit more drop. You know, he's about 6'11". Uh, it isn't quite as mobile as Isaiah Stewart. Uh, for the most part, you know, it's been, um, you know, a, a pretty similar script as last year, I think. You know, I think offensively, uh, and it's hard, I feel like it's kind of hard to adjust schemes with teams like this anyway because, you know, like what sure. you want to do, you probably don't have the depth to necessarily do it to the extent you want to sure. anyway. Uh, you know, I know Boyan Bogdanovic has given them a really big lift on offense, just being a guy who can do a little bit of everything and, uh, he's kind of in the same role Sadiq Bay was in last year, and Sadiq Bay still in this year. But now I think having two big wings who can really shoot the ball, that's kind of opened some things up for this team offensively. So a lot of it's more of the same, but a few new wrinkles. Uh, they experimented with uh, posting up Cade Cunningham a little bit during preseason, and they said they wanted to get to it more this year. We haven't seen it as much, but they just played the Bucks twice. It's certain games where you're probably not going to want to post Cade Cunningham up like against Milwaukee, obviously. So uh, over the course of the year, I think we'll continue to see them kind of mix some things up and experiment. So compare it to, um, you know, team my root for the Houston Rockets and the Rockets and Pistons. I see them talking to each other a lot since, of course, Cade Cunningham and Jalen Green went in the same draft. Um, and, and to me, it seems the Rockets right now, their offense is kind of aimless. Do you see um, like ideas that are sort of making progress with this Pistons team? Do you see, um, you know, in terms of like Cade's development and just their cohesion as a unit overall that there is some direction and, and positive movement. Yeah. You know, I think uh, over the course of last season, we saw them doing a little, a little bit more pick and roll uh, with Cade and that's kind of carried over to this season. Uh, you know, I think, I think one of the big changes from last year that we're seeing this year is Isaiah Stewart uh, being more of a pick and pop big versus pick and roll. Uh, you know, he's, his jump shots mechanically fine. I mean, you know, he's got, I think one of the purest strokes on the team, just as, as far as pure mechanics hasn't been falling, but, you know, I think the team recognized pretty early. Like, he's a little bit undersized. Like he could post up a little bit, but we're not going to post him up. This team's generally aren't doing that anymore. Uh, you know, like how could he add value on offense? And you know, as a road guy, he's got some limitations. He's not the biggest. He's not the the highest leaper, and he kind of gets lost amongst the, the trees uh, down there sometimes. So uh, I'd, I'd say one of the biggest storylines, just as far as their schemes being different, is now you have a guy in Isaiah Stewart who is very valuable defensively and you know if he can knock down threes consistently uh that opens up the floor and also gives him uh maybe more of a defined role on, on offense because long term you have Jalen Duran now and he's obviously probably more fit to be a role guy uh, just looking at the type of athlete he is his size like his catch radius he can just do a little bit more on that end so yeah I think Isaiah Stewart uh as more of a floor spacing five has been it's been a work in progress but he's been shooting them uh like he's probably between three and four attempts a game right now and he can hit him. He's had a lot of attempts to like literally go halfway down and then pop back out. Like he could easily be, he's probably shooting around 20% right now. He could easily be at 40 right now had he just had a little bit more luck. So, um, you know, I think as the season goes on, as he kind of gets that feel down for how you could screen and then pop and kind of open things up, um, you know, I think that could pay dividends for him. Um, going back to Cade real quick, um, I saw an article published recently in The Athletic um, comparing his game to DeMar DeRozan. 
Um, I'm a, I'm a Bulls fan, so I see DeMar all the time with his mid-range game. Um, do you see a comparable comparison between the two of them? And it really made it seem like, you know, Kay Cunningham could be the heir to the throne of that mid-range game. Um, do you agree with that observation? I do see some similarities between them. Uh, Kay's really going to the mid-range shot this year. He went to it last year. I think he shot probably a higher share of mid-range jumpers than a lot of, a lot of guards do. And uh, the... The numbers are a little fuzzy only because, like, I use cleaning the glass a lot because you're able to break down, uh, you know, where players are taking their shots, like what percentage come from short, mid-range, long, mid-range, three, and whatnot, and then uh, their accuracy from each spot. And they list K as a wing instead of a point guard, so ideally you want to compare him to guys like Chris Paul, and he ends up being compared to more of the uh, Tatums when it comes to that. But I think either way, his, his um, efficiency from mid-range and just his value from mid-range are both up from last year, and um, he's really... Uh, sort of honed in on, on, on that shot, you know, just, just like kind of, kind of finding the soft spots in the defense, um, you know, like pulling up, sidestep, whatever it is. Uh, he's really been comfortable in the mid-range, really the last week and a half or so. And I think that that's kind of opened things up for him. Uh, you know, I think defenses in general, you know, are more geared toward not giving up threes and uh, shots at, at the rim these days. So if you can knock down those mid-range shots at, you know, 45% or above clip, uh, you know, I think that's really going to keep your offense moving. Uh, you know, I think DeMar is a, a, a different tier of athlete, <laughs> obviously, sure. but, you know, but I think Cade, um, you know, being a guy who could really, you could put the ball in his hands and feel good about it. Uh, you know, he's a great, he's the best passer on the team. He's got great vision. Uh, he's absolutely a big point guard. Um, you know, I think you could say DeMar DeRozan, you, you, you could say Chris Paul, you know, I think Chris sure. Paul has been one of the best mid-range shooters throughout his career. And we've kind of seen, um, like, sometimes I see parallels between Cade and, and Chris Paul just in how they uh, sort of attack the game. Uh, I could even throw Paul Pierce out there. Like, he was always pretty good for mid-range and um, probably shot a higher volume of threes than uh, K shot. Uh, like, I know his three-point volume is down this season compared to last year, but, uh, you know, whatever mar- uh, mid-range marksman you want to com- compare him to, uh, I like to go to, if Paul Pierce were a point guard, he'd probably be uh, Cade Cunningham. So, I mean, DeMar, Paul Pierce, Chris Paul, whoever, I think all those guys are pretty, pretty apt comparisons. Yeah, and all great names players would like to be compared to, I'm sure. Um, looking at Jaden Ivey, wanted to talk about his fit in the offense, playing alongside Cade. What are what have you seen so far from him, his fit in the offense, his fit on the team overall, and his performance in terms of meeting, exceeding expectations? Yeah, I think I think he's been exactly uh, the player he was advertised to be uh, coming hmm. out of Purdue, and maybe in some areas a little bit better. Uh, you know, I think the main thing for him coming out of college was just uh, his athleticism, but specifically just the way he's able to get downhill, uh, his first step, uh, the way he's able to kind of glide through uh, traffic and, you know, take wide steps and whatnot. Like, we've seen that uh, when he drives into the lane. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys where it's clear, like, every scouting report is like, just don't let him get inside. Like, he's drawing, you know, four or five sets of eyes every time he gets in there. And mm. a lot of times it doesn't matter. I mean, he's just, uh, you know, like – I think he moves so fast. Sometimes you don't necessarily realize how fast he's moving because he makes it look easy. But mm-hmm. like his burst to the open floor, like it's opened a lot of things up for the Pistons already, and even in the half court. And I think what surprised me is that like, he's proven to be a pretty good half court passer. Like I think anytime you have a, a guard like him who is a blur in transition, you know that he's going to open things up, you know, in transition. But uh, just the way he's been able to kind of back up, uh, you know, find a little, little bit of room for by a defender, and then you know, drive and kick or find a cutter or whatever it may be. Uh, he's been really good at that, and I think. I'm probably a bit higher on him being an actual league guard in the NBA uh, than I was before he was drafted because that was the biggest knock on him. Uh, not the biggest knock, but one of the biggest knocks coming on him coming out of college is, is he a guy 
uh, that could be a, a lead playmaker when you always have to pair him next to a player like Cade Cunningham. So from that respect, I think he's done it in a good spot. But uh, just based on you know two weeks of play and then preseason, and even summer league, he has some nice passes. I think long term, uh, you know, it's possible the Pistons might have two lead guards, which is a good situation to have. Obviously, with teams wanting to run multiple ball handlers together. Um, Amari, I want to ask you about the, the next stretch for the Pistons. They got a tough, um, tough patch of games coming up. What is the mentality of a team like this to, you know, they're not in contention for the, the playoffs, but they, they want to stay competitive. What is their, their mindset just to make sure that, you know, they stay interested during this entire time that does K take the leadership role? Does do the coaches, do they move in to make sure that the players stay motivated? Like what is kind of the, the framework entering such a, a tough stretch of games coming up? Yeah. I think that's the difficulty uh, when you're rebuilding is just keeping everybody on the same page. You know, I think everybody gets tired of losing and uh, this front office has talked, you know, pretty openly about just the challenge of, you know, keeping players motivated, uh, making sure they see uh, sort of the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, this team won 20 games two years ago. They won 23 games last year. So uh, significantly more losses than wins. And you have those guys from the 2020 class, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bay, Killian Hayes, who, uh, you know, have lost a lot, you know, in their first two seasons in, in the NBA. Um, you know, I think that the coaching staff in the front office has been very careful uh, when it comes to setting expectations. They haven't deliberately talked about making the playoffs yet you know it's been very much um like let's be competitive you know like let's make teams sweat like let's be in every game like let's make sure we're setting um the culture that we want when we do eventually turn the corner um i thought the way trey weaver kind of phrased it uh, during media day he said the team is at ground zero right now uh, but he took over blake griffin was still on the roster uh, you know the dead money from his contract was still on the books last year so that kind of how hamstrung the front office as far as being able to build a roster with actual depth. And they're a little banged up right now. They're waiting for Alec Burks and, and, and Marvin Bagley and uh, to come back during this no miss some time, but they do have better depth this year. So I think they want to see, uh, like, I don't know if they necessarily want to see 2023 20, wins again, unless players get hurt or uh, you just lose about one point, you know, every, every night, but regardless of how you get, you know, to that point at the end of the season, I think they want to look back at this year and say, we were better than we were from 2020 to 2022. Uh, even if it doesn't show up in the wins and losses, you want to see Cade, Sadiq, um, Jade, and all those guys show that they're players that you can build around. So let's say this season doesn't go, you know, you know, live up to you know the the expectations that were laid out. There's a lot of anticipation about the the draft class in 2023. Are there any rumblings from like the fan base in terms of hey, we should just you know call this season whatever and just you know see what happens in the NBA draft lottery? Are there those rumblings among among that fan base, or do they really want to see um, this core really rebuild and not you know go the tanking routes? What is kind of the philosophy just among the, the fan base there? Yeah, I think. Uh... <laughs> I think fans would have won 82 games and win the lottery, honestly. You know, I think they, uh, you know, I think I think fans like rebuilds until the, re the losing actually starts. Like, I think they have this idea of uh, essentially like a Cinderella rebuild. Like, we, you know, we get a couple of guys and then we exceed all expectations and and then we're good. And, you know, like, as we know, sometimes teams start rebuilds and they, they never get out. Uh, you know, like I talk, you know, Lions on Twitter a lot, just being a, a born and raised Detroiter and, 
Yeah, I say, yeah, I mean, it's like geared, you know, like two for this front office, like geared two for the coaching staff. Like, you know, first they're going to lose, right? And then people are like, they've been rebuilding since I was born. And it's like, <laughs> so, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like they're not wrong, but, you know, it's a different front office, right? So you kind of have sure. to, um, you know, like some, like, you know, some, sometimes our current fans, like, hey, I mean, you know, if you're going to rebuild, it means losing. Like, I don't think you fired a coach just because he lost against the Bucks, right? Like, that's kind of, inherent to rebuilding is that you're going to lose certain games. So, no, I mean, I think a lot of Pistons fans get it. Like, they understand that, you know, Troy Weaver is not the previous GM. The previous GM was the previous GM. And like, you have Cade Cunningham. Now you have some guys who can clearly play. And you have a lot of cap space coming up uh, next summer. Uh, they'll be around $50 million. So, um, they'll kind of have the mechanisms they need to improve pretty rapidly after um, they haven't won a playoff game since I was in eighth grade. <laughs> you know, so it's been a while. <laughs> Uh, you know, was, you know that was four, fourteen years ago. Uh, you know, but I think I think fans get it in general. I think the day to day, week to week, month to month process of just taking your lumps sucks. And you know, and who wants to watch losing, right? Like it makes sense. But if you kind of look at the overall picture, you look at where this team was, you know, three years ago, and you see how much young talent they have, and uh, you might add another lottery pick this year in a pretty good draft, and you have cap space. Like there's a very clear um, path this team could take toward you know being good. You know, a year from now or two years from now, and uh, overall, like I think, I think fans get it. I just think in the process of the rebuild, it's like, well, we should be winning these games, right? And it's like, well, you know, these had ten teams with winning records last year, and you know, the Pistons are still very clearly a tier under most of the conference. So that's kind of that's kind of how it goes, right? Absolutely, and kind of more asking along the lines of your personal opinion uh, as someone covering the Pistons. Um, would a rebuild, like a timeline for that, be centered around like Cade's contract extension, things like that, you know, that we're starting to see progress. We're like getting into the playoffs, things like that, um, so that he's encouraged as, you know, at, at least the future leader of that team, if not the leader already, um, so that he wants to stay around. Like, I guess, what is sort of the logical like timeline where you want to see you know, we're shifting from rebuild into competitive. You know, I say this now and, you know, things could always change. I think with this being year three, I think case in year two, um, you know, you have a lot of cap space coming up next summer and then you might start mm. a lottery pick um, based on the sort of the course they're on now uh, being, I think, two and seven overall. Uh, you know, I think I think this time next year, this team will be in a much better place to actually truly be able to compete. Uh, you have your 2020 draft class, Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bay. Isaiah Stewart, all those guys would be extension eligible, uh, you know, this upcoming off season. So, you know, you already start to begin to lock some players in and really commit yourself to the young core pretty soon. And then on top of that, I think year three for Cade. So you expect, I think any, you know, player of his caliber by year three, you expect them to consistently perform at a star level. And then the cap space, uh, like I would kind of compare it to um, the Atlanta Hawks. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was 2018 or 2019. Uh, when they went out and got Gallinari and they just went out and uh, just signed some really good role players. Trey Young was, you know, a few years into his career and they just said, you know what, uh, let's just go for it now. You know, we have Trey Young, we have DeAndre Hunter, uh, we've drafted some good young guys, Sean Collins, obviously. And now we have, you know, cap space to go out and really flesh out the depth of this roster. We can go out to compete and Hawks end up going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, you know, I think that's probably a similar outline the Pistons could follow, uh, you know, just with K being a year three to cap space. And, you know, this team doesn't want to lose forever, obviously. Like, I would say this time next year, I think they will. They should be in position to make the playoffs. That's obviously heavily dependent on the rest of the East. 
uh, you know, maybe the Brooklyn Nets will implode this year, so that's one team out. Uh, or maybe they've already imploded. Who knows? Uh, you, know, <laughs> just, you know, I think some things will probably have to happen in front of them uh, to get a little, little bit of help. But, you know, I think they have the tools, the money, uh, the development they need to really start to make some noise uh, next season. Yeah, it seems like they are set up pretty well with the building blocks that they need. I mean, especially with the encouraging start from Jaden Ivey. I mean, if, if he and Cade are very strong players and you've got that cap space, you know, you're looking at bringing one more strong piece and then maybe some veteran leaders in there. What do you think um, in terms of just looking at the team right now? Granted, you mentioned the injury to Alec Burks and there are pieces that are joining this team, but in, in terms of, looking at building and and what they need to add here what do you think is their greatest need i think what they really i think they still need just depth in general and i, mm-hmm. you know, I think um you look at this team and on paper they do have pretty good depth i mean you have jen and ivk you know killian all guys who are handling the ball um you know up front you have barbara bagley who's a pretty proven scorer at this point you know isaiah stewart uh darlene's noel I think Boyan really, who they just extended earlier this week, I think he really has a dimension as far as uh, just being able to score the ball. Uh, you know, he's a great shooter. He's a good passer. Uh, he's good in, in, inside. He's pretty much good at everything offensively. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily one thing this team needs other than just a couple all-stars. You know, so maybe that's K, you know, this year, next year. Uh, maybe Ivy gets there sooner rather than later. Maybe Sadiq has a leap in them. Uh, Jalen Duran, I mean, I think he's played really well for an 18-year-old. So maybe he can, you know, continue to improve and eventually get to a star level by the time he's ready for his, his extension. So the main thing, like they could get outside help, but like unless you're trading for a guy like a Bradley Bear or something along those lines, uh, your best bet's probably just going the Memphis Grizzlies route where John Morant becomes a superstar. Uh, Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, you know, are good enough to at least maybe be in the fringe all-star discussion. And um, that's enough to get you to 50 wins. Like I think it really just hinges on Cade becoming Cade. And then a second one of those young guys getting to like at least close to a star level. Uh, which you know may not happen next season, maybe the season after. But if you're not trading for a superstar, then you've got to develop your own. So it really hinges on Cade and Ivy and those other guys getting to that level. Um, Omari, you mentioned some other teams within the Eastern Conference. I just want to ask you, what is your perspective on how the conference has played out so far? Um, you mentioned just the the ongoing drama in Brooklyn. Um, has there been any other surprises? Obviously, we've seen you know Milwaukee. Um, show their dominance is there anything that catches your eyes so far as we're a little bit into the season just in terms of you know how the season will play out in terms of the top contenders within the east yeah um i mentioned brooklyn earlier i think it's you know safe to say that this is probably the second straight year of them kind of living out their worst case scenario uh second or third season uh you know just with the Kyrie situation and um, I mean, just saw the drama from the offseason. Like, they went from almost blowing the roster up to bringing everybody back. And now, you know, the first weeks of the season, they fired Steve Nash and uh, suspended, you know, Kyrie Irving. So, uh, you know, it just seems like that situation is not going to improve. You know, they're 2-6 and six right now. Uh, you know, it's just tough to see a path for them coming back from this. Um, I wouldn't say that there are a lot of surprises. I think it's still so early that, you know, you're probably still inclined to give some teams the benefit of the doubt. Like, I think Boston was close to 500 last year for, like, the first two months, and then they caught fire and went to the finals. Uh, I know Miami hasn't been that great. You know, I think they're, what, like, four and five right now. Um, I mean, that's a team I kind of wor- wondered about coming in because they didn't really get better over the offseason. They lost P.J. Tucker. And it's yeah. kind of like, okay, you, like you have Hero, you have Bam, you have some guys who can kind of step up in the bigger roles. But 
um, like what's waiting to sustain them through a playoff run, especially with Jimmy, who kind of has had his own injury history. So uh, definitely curious about them. You know, it always seems like they have like a rabbit they can pull out with their hat and just suddenly get better. So, um, you know, I'm curious to see which direction they go. And, you know, I've also, I think, I think the Sixers as, as well have kind of stumbled out of the gate. And then the news came out earlier that James Harden is going to miss the next month. Uh, Joel Embiid, you know, he's a player that has a pretty significant injury history as well. So uh, I think any team that, you know, has two stars that have availability issues, you kind of wonder about them as well. I know Tyrese Maxey's picked up some of the slack. So uh, beyond that, you know, I think it's been pretty to the book. You know, the Bucks are the Bucks. You know, I think people expected the Cavs to make a leap, and they've been uh, really great so far. Uh, you know, the Raptors, Hawks, you know, Bulls, all those teams are sort of hovering in the middle uh, to different extents, the Knicks. And uh, it may just be a very, uh, you know, maybe kind of like last year where you have 10 teams that, you know, finish with winning records. I wouldn't be shocked if this is a year where maybe two or three teams in the East just kind of pull ahead of the pack. And then you have, just have a lot of teams kind of beating each other up in the middle. And then obviously, you know, the Pistons, Orlando kind of hovering toward the bottom. So, uh, main thing I'll say is that I just like the parity that the NBA has right now. You know, I like that you can kind of look at both conferences and you see eight, nine teams that could win it all. Uh, you know, you're kind of in that super team error for so long I think it's nice to not kind of have like a preordained outcome like you could eight different people could have eight different finals matchups and all of them could conceivably be right so I think just as somebody who's still uh you know at his core a fan of the NBA I think that's a lot of fun is this the most talented you've seen the league in a long time just in terms of if you're a fan of league pass you get pop it on any game and there's a reason to watch there's like a superstar on one team even if they have a terrible record or there might be a competitive matchup between two teams that may be mid-tier or just elite teams um is this in terms of just being a fan of the league that the most value that somebody watching games every night can get um compared to previous years of use of that you have observed so far I think so. Uh, you know, I think one thing the NFL has always had an advantage uh, when it comes to the NBA is just the parity. And not only that, like you could turn on any team at any time. And, you know, it's probably at least one or two players that you're interested to watch. I mean, I don't know how else the Lions get, you know, Thanksgiving game every year. Like, and, you know, get pretty good ratings, right? You know, I think the NFL has done a really good job of marketing its, 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 its product and making sure that every team has something that can draw in a pretty casual fan and, like, I think the NBA is there. I think the parity helps a lot. You know, I think you can look at pretty much any roster, and there's going to be at least one or two guys that jump out. I mean, even even if it's, like, a bad team. I mean, I think casual NBA fans are curious about, uh, you know, Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. Uh, you know, I think a casual NBA fan can, like, the Magic are good. You can turn on the TV, and Ben Carroll's been, uh, like, absolutely crushing it so far. Uh, you know, even French playoff teams like the Sacramento Kings. I mean, you have Darren Fox. Keegan Murray's had a great rookie season. Um like, every team has something, I think, that you can kind of tune in to watch. Uh, OKC, Houston, all these teams have, you know, exciting young stars. Uh, yeah, then you have teams like Utah who maybe, you know, you'll expect them to come in and be yeah. interesting. <laughs> they've kind of, uh, you know, they're one of those teams where it's like, oh, are they actually, are they actually good, good? Like, Louis Markkinen is averaging, like, 23 points a game. Like, there's a lot kind of going on right now. Yeah, I would say so for sure. Like, I think uh, this isn't, like, 2008 or nine where – if you ever check some of those all-star teams, like the mid two thousands, like you'll see a couple of guys. Yeah, like, he like he was just like an above average starter. Like he made like he made right. two all-star teams. <laughs> and, now, you know, and now you and now you look at it now, and you just have guys getting snubbed from all NBA teams every single year. And it's, it's true know, they are snubs, but you know I think the NBA is so deep, you could probably do four all NBA teams and still miss a couple of guys who deserved it. So uh, yeah, I mean I mean I think the league's in a great spot right now. You, know, you have a lot of talent coming in in every, every draft. Uh, you have 
you know, uh, two guys at the top of this next draft, two might be franchise-changing talents. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the talks for the NBA as far as is it time to expand, uh, you know, I think from a talent standpoint, the league's probably close to the point or already at the points where you could actually add two more teams and not dilute the product too much. Totally agree. And um, Omari, been great having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Please let our listeners know where they can follow you and let us know any projects that you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for having me again. Uh, everybody can follow my work uh, at the Detroit Free Press. That's F-R-E-E-P.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Omari Sankofa. That's O-M-A-R-I-S-A-N-K-O-F-A. And then you can check out uh, my podcast with uh, my man Bryce Simon. Uh, you can follow him at Border City Hoops. And the podcast is called The Pistons Post. Uh, we launched it in March. And we release episodes every Tuesday. And the reception has been pretty good so far. So check it out. See what you like it. Uh, we enjoy doing it. And it's been fun so far. Awesome, Amari. Thank you very much for joining us again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me.